can he be successful enough to kind of rip that job from uh, from Latroy Hawkins' cold dead hands? I really liked that acquisition. I think that he's going to shock some folks. Very interested in Shane Green. There must be like somebody's boss that watches these games through Twitter because damn it, these tweets are out of control this spring. Given the that Tim Federovich or whatever is his backup. By the way, I got to give you credit on Federovich. I know you. I've heard you talk. I do listen to the <laughs> podcast. I've heard you talk about having player pronunciation issues. Welcome to episode 221 of the Sleeper and the Bus. It's your Thursday edition. I am Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how are you today? Good. Good to hear. We've got some great baseball news to talk about. A lot of games going on right now. Uh, you know, Thursday has a lot of day games. That's one of the best things about Thursdays. Hit us up on Twitter at Spore at Eno Saris. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. We definitely appreciate that. Uh, let's dive right into the news here because we've got some, uh, you know, positive news that has a, a slightly negative spin to it, unfortunately, because whenever someone comes back from the disabled list, somebody has to lose their job. So, you know, the, the Padres are probably thrilled that Ian Kennedy is set to return this weekend, but it forces them to put, uh, Odrissimer Despagne in the bullpen. And, you know, he's been pitching really well. Obviously, you want Kennedy. I'm not making any sort of case that it should be Kennedy over. Despagne, but you know when when someone's pitching as well as Despagne is uh, as a starter, they, they probably don't want to lose him there. But that's just kind of the embarrassment of riches that they have right now with everyone healthy. You know, I think Despagne is kind of the perfect sixth starter, and you know, I, for what it's worth, I think Detena Rourke is too. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's you know they, I think they can get exposed with multiple viewings. Um, their stuff isn't elite. I think, you know, even when I was talking to Tanner, he would say he would agree with that. And they rely on grounders, um, and their control, you know, it, it depends on how good their command is that day. And, um, you know, if they start giving up homers, then, then the, the whole package looks a lot worse. So, uh, I think Despagne is in a, in a de- decent spot and, and Roark is too for their teams. I mean, for their owners and for the players themselves, they'd, they'd probably want to get more time. But just given the nature of, of, of pitching, I think we'll see Despagne again. I mean, Brandon Morrow is, is pitching yeah. that, in that rotation ahead of him. Exactly. And, you know, as much as I love Andrew Kashner, he doesn't stay healthy very well. You know, we haven't seen it from him. Tyson Ross is not the model of health. I think there's going to be opportunities there. Uh, so Despagne, I think, is a, is a solid NL only you know, guy that you can have as a swing man. It's really hard to roster him, though, in, uh, in, in mixed leagues, even with a rotation spot. So without, it's virtually impossible because he doesn't go to the bullpen and he's not going to amp up his strikeouts. You know, he's not going to be one of those stud guys who's getting, you know, well over a strikeout per inning kind of stuff out of the bullpen. He might boost his strikeouts up to like six. So mm-hmm. Despagne is not somebody that you can necessarily have, um, unless he's starting and even then, a little bit of a limited profile. Are you excited about Kennedy's return? Um, you know, what did you see from him last year? He's only had two and a third innings this year before leaving with that injury. It, it hadn't been going well with two walks and two hits, but, you know, who's to say that that wasn't just entirely related to the injury? What do you think of Ian Kennedy going forward? I mean, he's not a bad fastball guy, but, you know, I think he's like Corey Kluber in that 
you know, good command, uh, good breaking ball, um, and needs a good home park. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the last year was, you know, it was his best home runs per nine innings, um, of his career. And I don't think that was, uh, I don't think that was, you know, uh, I don't know how that also translated to the best strikeout rate of his career. I think that might have been related to some tinkering with this curveball, uh, perhaps going from a regular curve to a, a knuckle curve rip, but, um, you know, he might have been using that knuckle curve rip his whole career. I, this is, he's a guy I've, I've been wanting to talk to for a while, but, um, any case, uh, I think, uh, you know, I don't think there's too much of a reason to think that last year was flukish in any regard. I mean, his batter could have been better, except that you know that his fastball isn't great. Um, and his infield defense wasn't good last year, but his infield defense isn't good this year either. Exactly. Uh, or outfield defense. Or, yeah, or outfield defense for that <laughs> matter. So if he goes back to kind of his fly ball heavy tendencies, that wouldn't be good. So yeah, I, I'd rather give the infield a shot to, to turn some outs for him as opposed to, uh, you know, relying on that defense to shag fly balls. So Kennedy, He'll be all right. Uh, obviously, get him back in your lineup. Uh, it, it should be good. It should be good to go with him. Dexter Fowler came out of the game the other day uh, on Wednesday with a groin injury, and uh, Chris Bryant went out there for him and, and, and covered. And we figure, okay, you know, he's going to cover for him here. That's fine. But then he gets the start in center field on Thursday, and it's looking like, you know, this is something that could happen. I, I don't know about regularly in terms of you know, 20 games or anything like that. But uh, it, it seems like something that the Cubs are fine with because he's comfortable with it. What do you think of Bryant as a center fielder? I was focusing a little bit too much on some of the pitchers in that game and didn't actually see him, um, you know, field a, get a chance out on the field. But I would say that uh, he, he wouldn't fit my profile in terms of size and, and shape. Uh, of, of most center fielders. No. It came up in my chat today, and though, and I said, have you ever seen a center fielder that looked like Chris Bryant? And someone said they had. Uh, Corey Hart. Oh, okay. Uh, and I thought that was pretty good. That was That's pretty good. I mean, you're pretty you're, dead you're, on. What you're saying is, you know, when they're super young, the first three, four, five years of their career, and they're at their most athletic, um, they are smart enough to, to sort of make the reads and, 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 and quick enough still to, to get there. Um, and, you know, we wouldn't put Corey Hart in, in center field now. Exactly. Uh, so that's probably why a lot of big guys don't end up in center. But uh, I guess, you know, you can probably fake it. That might mean something uh, for you uh, players with center field eligibility, um, especially if you bought a third baseman and, um, and Bryant. And, start, and the third baseman started to pan out. Yeah, and you kind of you kind of stuck with two guys, you know. You might be able to stick him in center field, but um, uh, you know, you're 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 hoping that Fowler's out for five days and not for fifteen. Then, absolutely. If he's out for fifteen, they probably make some sort of um, move. I, don't, I doubt it's Almora, but um, they have other options. Yeah, I, I think you're right that it would take something like that kind of league uh, for the value to really change because otherwise. Adding outfield eligibility just doesn't really matter because I mean it, it doesn't hurt. I, I don't want to say it doesn't matter at all. I guess I guess there it's always good to have extra flexibility, but it's not something that I'd be you know outfield to third base is something that could boost the value I think a bit more than the other way. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how much more Bryant gets out there. He's gonna he's gonna play. It's Joe it's a Joe Madden team. We shouldn't be surprised that that guys are gonna move around. Um, and I, 
I saw some, I don't want to say anger, but just like some frustration with it today. And I didn't see the problem. I, I, I think it's fine if Chris Bryant wants to play out there and he, he can actually do it. Okay, fine. Um, but I don't think it's going to be a long-term thing, so it's nothing to really freak out about. Yeah. All right, uh, next up here is – oh, yeah, this one's not fun. Joe Nathan has torn UCL, and uh, you know he's pretty much toast. He says that, you know, he's going to be working to come back. Um, and, you know, you'd expect that – you'd expect him to say that he doesn't want to pack it in, but it's not a good situation right now uh, given his age and his recent performance – we, we might have seen the last of Joe Nathan. Yeah, he uh, he said it felt like he broke his arm, which makes you feel real sad for him. Um, and but at 40 years old, uh, we've saw the, the declining velocity. Uh, we've seen how it didn't just it didn't quite work out in Detroit. Um, and uh, you know, one little note, and this isn't. I hope this isn't taken the wrong way in the spirit of this. Um, it's not a, I told you so. It's none of that. Um, and it's not even that we can necessarily learn from Nathan himself in this situation, but it is worth pointing out that Zimmerman, Jeff Zimmerman has shown that there's a, a Tommy John honeymoon and that the oh. honeymoon, lasts, the honeymoon lasts, uh, four to four and a half years. So that's not saying that everybody who has Tommy John is going to have on a, a second Tommy John four and a half years later, even on average. What it's saying is the people that did have a second Tommy John had it four to four and a half years later. Gotcha. Average. So uh, the, I think four was the median and four and a half was the average. In any case, um, you know, Joe Nathan had his Tommy John four and a half years ago. Well, and there, yeah, so there we go. And, you know, plus the age certainly doesn't help the situation. So it, it would definitely be sad if this is the way his career ended, but he got a really – great full career when you really look at it it was great obviously the the ending was sour as it is for a lot of great players because they keep playing uh you know maybe well beyond uh you know reasonable production so we we see it as a sour end but i think he'll be remembered as somebody who was a great closer by the way maybe maybe we should uh just remember this uh with adam wainwright next year um adam wainwright is gonna uh finish his fourth year uh, since Tommy John surgery this year, maybe we were a year early on on worrying about him. Well, yeah, because I was worried coming into the season, and there's virtually no chance I will have him next year. <laughs> basically, regardless of what happens this year, and it's not just necessarily what you just said. It's uh, I, I wouldn't want him a year older. I just can't imagine that he's going to go out and put a, Wainwright's going to go out and put up some sort of year that would make me say, "Oh, I really need to change my tune here and 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 reinvest." So yeah, that that career, just that yeah, just makes it even worse. By the way, your real low swinging strike rate. You know, I know it's only twenty one innings, but you know, swinging strike rate means. That he's thrown uh, 305 pitches and had a career low, um, you know, swing strike rate. So I think that uh, you know he's down to 89 worst velocity of his career. So yeah, I think I think we're seeing. I just wanted to bring that up with respect to to him. That's a good point. I get mean, a list of uh, of uh, 2011 Tommy John surgeries. Yeah, if you if you are still buying in, uh, this might be you know that last thing you needed to convince you to maybe jump off the bandwagon a little bit sooner. Uh, Shane Victorino was sidelined with a hamstring injury that opened it up for, I think, Alan Craig substituted in on a Wednesday. I think he's going to be out again today. So basically opens up, 
you know, positioning for uh, for Alan Craig and Brock Holt right now because Rusny Castillo is still hurt. But uh, let's talk a little bit about how the whole thing plays out with Boston, and then you want to use that as a jumping point to talk a little bit about some defense early on related to Scott Spratt's article and how it could possibly defense could possibly relate to fantasy. Oh yeah, I mean I think just uh, it was a good piece by Scott Spratt today um, in the in on Fangraphs, and just that um, it's not something that is immediately obvious uh in terms of how it's used in fantasy and, and and managers don't always follow it but it is it is interesting to note that um you know given given the fact that you know Resnick Castillo he's maybe not healthy so maybe it's irrelevant right now but um let's say Victorino is sidelined for a while Alan Craig doesn't heat up you know you know and then Mookie Betts is, is struggling you know what's what's the long term outcome I think it is fair to look at the defense, uh, even in a short sample and say, oh, well, that's interesting. Mookie Betts has saved, um, has more defensive runs saved than anybody in baseball other than Kevin Pillar. So, you know, you watch the games and you see everybody talking about how smart Mookie Betts is, how he's taking the extra base, he's walking, he's still making contact. You know, you don't always want to say it's just Babbitt, but in his case, there's just a little bit of Babbitt missing, maybe a little bit of power that's still to come, and the defense is there, the the heads up is is there, you know, all the all these sort of intangibles are there, and the defensive run saved are there. So I, I think that um, they are going to keep bets there, and even if Resnick was was healthy now, he might come up as a Victorino DL replacement rather than a okay Castillo's going to play center and Mookie's going to move around now. Absolutely, and and I think defense does matter, especially kind of the era that we're in, where defense is getting more importance. You can look at these sorts of things, and 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 know that a lot of teams are at least looking, if not at their own def- or if not at these defensive numbers, at their own, which probably don't differ too wildly. And another topic that you wanted to mention is kind of how that might relate to the Toronto situation, as they've got some guys who are excelling, and another guy who is slated to come off the disabled list soon, who maybe won't be pushing those guys out for playing time. Well, I mean, so Pilar leads the league in, in uh, defensive runs saved, and then there's Dalton Pompey is actually fourth, uh, right right behind Anthony Goes, which is an interesting... Uh, yeah, I was going to say, and, and imagine if they don't do the... Tra- Obviously, both teams are thrilled with that Ghost for Travis trade, but right. imagine what that outfield defense would be like. Uh, obviously, you'd be without uh, Jose Bautista at that point offensively. But, yeah, that, that's that's ridiculous. So they've got two guys in the top five there um, – or top four, excuse me, in the top four. And this isn't just outfielders. This is all because Nick Castellanos is, is next there at, at five. So they've got three guys there – or excuse me, two, two guys there. And then, of course, Bautista is going to hold down that other spot. What might that spell for Saunders? Well, I think, you know, Saunders' days as a center fielder, I think, are behind him. Um, so now you're, the question is, do you take, like, a plus seven defensive run saved left fielder and make him the center fielder? Uh, so does Kevin Pillar, you know, sort of take over center because of his, you know, more excellent numbers? Or do you take a guy who's been playing center to a plus two uh, and leave him there? So I think um, given the fact that Pompey has improved his strikeout rate, retained his his plus walk rate shown power and is um you know playing well defensively in center field he's going to hold on to that 
And I think Pilar having a plus seven in left field is just means that they'll be happy to, to move him around. I agree with Spratt's analysis on this and that they'll be happy. It's not a plus seven in center. It's a plus seven in left. So I think that's, that makes him sort of an ideal fourth outfielder in that he can be a defensive upgrade uh, against lefties. He can platoon with Saunders. So I think the most likely outcome when Bautista is healthy is that Pilar platoons with Saunders. Uh, Bautista uh, plays when he's healthy, and then Pompey plays when he's healthy. So, well, that makes sense. But uh, yeah, I think, I, like I said, I think it's worth keeping an eye on these things, just in case teams are maybe starting to make more defensive-focused decisions and, and costing playing time for guys uh, that can hit that you might be to, be expecting to get in there. Now we're going to talk a little bit about. Uh, well, actually, I'll, I'll, before we before we finish on this topic. There's an interesting name that comes up bringing up the rear here, some of the, the, the early season defensive trailers. The guy in, in second to last probably doesn't surprise folks. It's Hanley Ramirez. But the guy in dead last might not be a surprise, but it's it, it might be early confirmation bias or just people mo- – most people were right when they talked about Danny Santana. We all knew that the 405 Babbitt was going to come way down. That Duh. We're not worried about that. But there were still – feeling that, hey, he can still hit 275 and steal a bunch of bags. Nothing's going well for this guy right now. Uh, offensive numbers are horrific, and now defense is awful, too, at minus six for Danny Santana. That's going to be problematic because if he can't fill in one of those two key defensive positions that he plays, shortstop and center field, and he's done only shortstop this year, then he's in trouble. That He's going to lose playing time uh, immediately. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, I agreed with you. Neither of us really liked him, but I agreed with you that there's a chance that even with regression that he'd be useful. Um, but, I mean, really everything's gone wrong. I mean, he hasn't taken a walk yet this year. His strikeout rate is 30%. And if you want to say that's a fluke, his swing strike rate is almost 16%. And you, you've seen in the minors that he's had years where he had really had trouble making contact. So, you know, this isn't out of the realm of possibilities for him that he's going to have, you know, 25, 26% strikeout rate this year. And if he does that and doesn't walk at all and can't play uh, shortstop defense, it's not going to last very long. And, you know, yes, they, there's a soft, uh, kind of a soft landing for him in that, you know, maybe they can play him at center. Um, and, uh, you know, that's definitely still a possibility because I don't think Jordan Schaefer, um, is uh, not the future. He's not the future. Buxton's a little while off. So there's going to be a, an opportunity for Santana there in center. Um, I, what, what is Aaron Hicks doing with his life right now? He's in triple A. He's in triple A. But by the way, uh, the, that is so true though, that he, he should get a, a full Santana should get a full audition back out in center because Schaefer has been unbelievably bad. We were talking about how Santana has been bad. Schaefer makes him look excellent. <laughs> I mean, you're talking. Um, I'm, he's I'm, always had strikeout problems. I mean, it, it's 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 laughable. One fourteen, one thirty nine, one forty three triple slash for Schaefer. I mean, you got Babe Ruth there with Danny Santana at two eighteen, two eighteen, and two fifty five <laughs> by comparison. That's horrific. No wonder uh, things are going so poorly for them right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they, you uh, know, the team. They as a team, they also have Jorge Polanco. Uh, you know, in double A, not necessarily tearing it up, but um, shown better contact numbers than Santana, more likely to be a shortstop than Santana, because Santana Definitely. has already been taken off the position. So, 
Um, I think Jorge Polanco represents, um, you know, a threat to his, his playing time at shortstop. And then there's also, um, uh, you know, I don't know how good he is, but, uh, there's Eduardo Escobar. Yeah. Uh, and Eduardo Nunez. I'm so sorry. I'm racist. Uh, which one's which? Okay. Escobar. You're not, you're not racist. Those are just, I mean, they're both named Eduardo. Uh, weren't they both? No, I don't think Escobar was ever on the Yankees. I, I so I confused the, the Yankees one. The Yankee. But yeah, I, I I mix them up too. I think it's because they're both middle infielders of similar skill with the same first name. I, at least for me, I don't feel like it's yeah, like, anything that has to do with race. They could be a white guy and, and an Asian guy, and I'd still mix the hell out of them because of how similar their skill sets and, of course, their identical first names are. Anyway, one better than the other. I like. I think I like Nunez better. Is that the right one? I think so. Well, yeah, Escobar think- was better last year, though. I think he he was like kind of a league average guy for for, for what he did. So, but I, you've seen flashes from both of like, hmm, maybe they should get more playing time. And then oh. the second they get more playing time, they get exposed. Right, and Nunez, uh, if I remember right, his defense isn't any good. So uh, they're more likely. I think the Twins do value shortstop defense there. Um, By the way, so- you, you mentioned that um, uh, Jorge uh, Jorge Polanco could push. Santana out of that shortstop position, and then you mentioned Hicks out front. He actually is doing all right at at, at Triple A, so he could he could block Santana off from center field as well if Santana didn't get going. I think Santana will get you know kind of an immediate shot, maybe as early as they move him over there in May because I, I don't know how much longer he's going to last at shortstop. Uh, but then if if Santana continues to struggle and Hicks continues to hit down down in Triple A, Hicks will get another shot because he's only 25, and even though he hasn't done anything with any of his chances, I think he's still young enough that the Twins would be willing to say, hey, you're performing, Santana isn't, let's give you another shot. And I don't think they have a lot of loyalty to Schaefer. No, um, they may, why they may they? be running out of rope with Hicks, but, um, you know, given what's happening, I think, um, you know, yeah, I think that's likely that Schaefer goes into a backup role and then they consider dropping him completely and, and bringing up Hicks. Um, and then maybe saying to Hicks and, and, and Danny Santana, like, listen, you guys got about two months before Buxton's up, so <laughs> exactly, exactly. Give it a good shot. <laughs> so we're still a good way off uh, from from a full month uh, of time, but obviously the calendar's creeping. We're at the back end of April here. I know we're still not making wholesale decisions on guys yet if we can avoid it, um, but we have to start talking about some guys that that maybe the worry is starting to creep in, uh, or maybe it's not at all. In fact, it just these are guys that are being asked about. I think it's worth talking about them to see where we are with them. Uh, we're going to do five pitchers, five hitters. We're going to start in the nation's capital. Obviously, things haven't been going well there overall, but that's more because of their offense, or at least I, I thought. You know, when I when I think about the team with the offense that they missed, we've discussed it on the show several times. Uh, but a couple of their pitchers have been really difficult uh, to deal with here so far. Doug Fister's the first one, and, and we all know to not expect much strikeout-wise, but there's a point where it becomes a, a little bit too low to, to really uh, stick with. He's at 10% right now, and the big problem is that he's got a 9% walk rate to go with it. His velocity's down two miles an hour. Um, you know, he's never he's never been a huge velocity guy, but Anytime it's dropping, it can be problematic or it can be the sign of something, uh, something more. We're just not seeing the same Doug Fister that we expected. Even though the ERA is still really nice, 
I think it's pretty flawed. And if his name wasn't Doug Fister, he'd be made fun of like a Jeremy Guthrie or, uh, you know, name your other fourth or fifth, fifth starters that get made fun of anytime they even have a successful run because we write it off instantly. What are you doing with Doug Fister right now? If I, I, I don't, I don't have any shares, but if I did, I would sell all of them, uh, immediately. Here's the list of the worst swing strike rates in baseball among starting pitchers this year. Phil Hughes is number one. That's so bad and unfortunate. I really love it's, Phil Hughes and I was excited, but no, it's not going well so far. And, and the, you know, the thing is, uh, strikeouts minus walks is a great, we've talked about this word. Strikeouts minus walks is a great in-season predictor. Um, mostly because those things stabilize really quickly, and so you, therefore you can use them to predict the future within the season. But then when you're talking season to season, that's t- you're using two variables instead of one. So it's uh, the interaction between those two and their year-to-year stickiness means that it's going to be not as good year-to-year. You know what I'm saying? It's like gotcha. yeah. because you're not just saying – how good is his strikeout rate going to be in year one and how good is the strikeout year rate going to be in year two? You're saying how good is his walk rate going to be in year one and how good is his walk rate going to be in year two? So, for example, Phil Hughes regressed um, not much when it comes to walk rate so far. He's, he's still showing that no, crazy. still been ridiculous. But, you know, given his lack of stuff, I mean, is, it, is the best way to put it. He has a rising fastball. He has a breaking ball he's tried three different versions of. And uh, it's not at all surprising to me, actually, to see him on this list near the top because it's not a great baking ball. But, um, you know, if I was given a choice between holding on to Hughes and Fister, uh, you know, I'd probably get something in a trade for Fister um, where um, I don't think anybody would give me anything for Hughes. So, anyway, uh, Hughes, Nice, Wood, we'll have to talk about this another time. I don't understand it at all. All of his pitches are the same, but they just don't get any whiffs. Burley, Despagne, Feldman, Leak, Simone, uh, Guthrie, Fister. So 10th worst uh, swing strike rate in base- baseball, right behind Guthrie and right the ahead exact of Exact name Stoltz. I made fun of him with. Yeah, right ahead of Eric Stoltz, who nobody wants to roster. So, yeah, and the other things that you said I think were good. I mean, he's obviously got a good command, but he's not he's not showing the sort of otherworldly command that it would take to, to, to float this kind of a boat. Exactly. Um, you know, he throws a lot of sinkers, but it's been uh, since 2013, since he had above 50% uh, ground ball rate. And, um, you know, having like a 45% ground ball rate is okay, but the research in Sierra, Matt Swartz's research in Sierra said that having a 50% ground ball rate means something for your, your BABIP. You have a lower BABIP. Uh, you know, all this other stuff starts happening once you get over 50 and 55%. Once you're an elite ground ball guy, but, you know, one inch of ground ball, you know, 45% over 44% doesn't mean much. That, and that makes sense. Uh, and so, yeah, just watching Fister, I'm just not seeing the crispness that I'm used to seeing from him. Cause even, and it goes back to that command and control you're talking about, not being as sharp. Still, still being fine and, and, and getting by. And like I said, the ERA is still really good because he's avoided some trouble and gotten out of some sticky spots, you know, done the proverbial dodging raindrops at times. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm losing some faith in him. I'm with you. I would sell the shares if I had any. I actually didn't really invest in him this year. Uh, as much as I love Doug Fister, former Tiger. My, my, my love for strikeouts, the fact that I am a giant strikeout whore shown through in my, in my drafts and I, and I avoided Fister, uh, pretty much universally. His, his partner in crime, his teammate Jordan Zimmerman 
isn't much better right now. And this one worries me a little bit more because we don't, again, we accept a little bit of a lower strikeout rate from him, but not, not at Doug Fister levels and certainly not at the same 10% that he's at. Uh, Zimmerman's at t- uh, 10% strikeout rate, 36% ground ball rate. Uh, you know, again, that's not going to work. If you're getting tons of ground balls, we can look past some of the strikeouts a little bit. And he's kind of vacillated. And what's weird is it's usually been when the strikeouts, or excuse me, when the ground ball rate goes down, his strikeouts go up. He, he's really shown a correlation there. And I, there was this mass interview that I've never been able to track down again that I found that I saw him do ages ago where he talked about, you know, going for strikeouts versus really just kind of, being efficient and and really went over his whole game plan on it. It was this great interview and really explained his relationship between ground balls, uh, easy outs, you know, two pitch outs and strikeouts. Well, I'll take a 36 ground ball rate if your strikeout rate gets back up to 23%, but at 10% right now, I'm a little bit worried. And again, a 7.4% walk rate isn't bad for Jordan Zimmerman overall, but it's bad from what, what he's coming from because he was at 4% last year. So, uh, again, velocity down two miles an hour with him too. Are you worried at all about Jordan Zimmerman early on? Just realize he's sort of in that four and a half year thing. So I'm going to, Cut quickly over to baseballheatmats.com and uh, running through the pitchery, pitcher oh, injury oh, factors. He's in the midst of uh, of his window is what you're saying. And he's coming right to the end of uh, four and a half years since his uh, last oh. uh, Tommy John. Um, and I agree that uh, these uh, numbers are weird. Um, They're really bizarre. I'm going to just set it for uh, this March uh, to Till today, uh, here we go. Four seamer is his regular fastball, and let's see here. His average velocity uh, is up since his first outing. Okay. Uh, you know what? I'm actually going to have to compare it to um, earlier. I'll do it to last year to see how different he is from last year. Well, let me mention a couple other things while while you're looking that up because obviously in addition to some of these things that he's in control of that haven't gone well, Zimmerman's also dealing with, uh, you know, one of the highest BABIP of his career, uh, or actually since his rookie year. He had 91 innings in his first year with a 332 BABIP. It's at 321 right now. Um, obviously, or not, I shouldn't say obviously, but at least from what I, the couple starts I've seen, he is giving up more hard contact, uh, than I'm used to seeing from him. 51% left on base rate from him right now. That, that's some pretty goofy stuff there too. But if you're pitching poorly, you're not, you're not guaranteed to just automatically regress to, uh, what, what his career rate, which is 74% or even kind of the league average 71, 72%, uh, unless you, unless you shape up and, and, and pitch as at least an average pitcher. Right now he's pitching well below average and I'm growing concerned, but I can't sell off Jordan Zimmerman just yet because I feel like he has a deep enough track record that I can't let three starts make me uh, completely waver. Yeah, I mean, he's at least uh, very consistent with his release points, uh, which is a good thing, um, and even late into the game. Uh, he's down uh, maybe a mile and a half off of his peak last year. He was uh, he peaked around 94 miles an hour last year um, with his uh, five-year, five-game average of his velocity. So, um, you know, right now he's at uh, 92 and a half or so. Um, that's definitely down one and a half 
though it, he started last year with about 93. So if he gets his normal bump in velocity, uh, he'll only be about a half tick down from than last year. And at that point, we're not really That's sweating not really, it. Yeah. But um, the weird thing is zone percentage. So zone percentage is one of the things that actually shows up as um, uh, a marker, you know, a marker for uh, injury. Okay. Um, I think it probably has something to do with, it's probably a reaction to injury where, you know, you're kind of scared that your stuff is gone and you, you start, you know, throwing it outside the zone. That makes sense. In any case, um, worst zone rate of his career by pitch FX. And the only asterisk I have to put on that is that BIS has his zone rate, um, as the second best of his career. So. It, whoa. Interesting. Why would there be such a major divergence there? That's very interesting. I don't really like using BIS so much because, uh, for the zone stuff because, um, it's human and I'd just rather, you know, have the computer track that for me. Gotcha. Okay, so your your the human error factor could be a part of that there. So, anyway, so we have, we have some concerns. I'm definitely less afraid than Zimmerman. I mean, he's uh, three years younger, and he was better when he was good. And 100% agree with that. I, I, I I'm Fister. I, I would be divesting, uh, even taking the the uh, you know giving the discounted price that you don't usually want to do. You don't want to sell low, but sometimes you have to. I'd be willing to do that with him. With Zimmerman, I'm sitting tight. Uh, I would even I would even consider buying if the price got really stupid. And uh, let me try to think of something that would actually be kind of a stupid price. Obviously, anything with like a super hot starter, like uh, a Jake Odorizzi or a Shane Green, if if someone was trying to say they would do straight up for Jordan Zimmerman, yeah, great. Even two of those guys, if someone's like Shane Green and Jimmy Nelson for Jordan Zimmerman, I'm doing that. Uh, stuff like that. Uh, should hopefully be a no-brainer. I'm trying to think of something that might be close where before the season started, it'd be, you know, no-brainer. What's that? Drew Hutchison. Uh, he, that wouldn't have been good enough. I got, I got to take Zim right now. What, what about like, uh, man, I, I'm so bad at coming up with names right off the, what about somebody like this? Uh, Lance Lynn had a great year last year, uh, looking like, you know, even, Great again this year. Wasn't rated as closely as Zimmerman for most of the year, but now that Zimmerman's been, been off to a poor start and Lynn's off to a great start, who would you take in, in that comparison? Yeah, they were about 15 apart in the rankings. And then you'd have to tank Zimmerman some, and you'd have to push Lynn up with some. They were, they were 15 apart in my rankings, at least. Um, yeah, let me see. Uh, while you talk, I'll see where I had, how far I had them. Go ahead. Yeah, I think... Um, hmm. I think I might take Lynn. I think I might take Lynn. I, I don't believe in streaks necessarily, but, um, you know, if one of these two pitchers is, is hiding an injury right now, it's Zimmerman. Definitely. And that, that, that part is, uh, you know, that part's fair. I like the strikeout rate boost that we've seen early on from, from Lynn. You know, he's, he's shown big strikeout stuff in the past. It, uh, it usually kind of evens out as, as good as opposed to great, but I think there's great potential locked in there for Lynn. I think I'm still going to stick with Zimmerman. It's very close, though. Like you said, one goes up, the other comes down. They're going to meet closer. They're much, much closer, but right now 
I think I would want a little bit of a, a little bit of a treat uh, with Lynn in a deal. It wouldn't be a straight up for me. I'd have to get maybe a little bat upgrade, um, even if it was a two for one, or if I had to give back a, a different bat, something where I'm getting one little extra upgrade before I do that. But uh, one for one is much closer than it would have been, you know, just a month ago. All right, next guy up is in the American League this time. It's Jose Quintana, somebody who, you know, th- he has his camps that really love him. I am among the, I'm among one of those camps. Uh, so his fantasy value was pushed up by that group. Uh, there are some people though I still think that are kind of missing the boat on him, aren't really aware of, of what's going on with Jose Quintana, what he's been doing the last two years. He's off to a rough start so far in 840 ERA with a 15% strikeout rate. However, I do have to mention the the quality of competition has been pretty sky high. He's played both the Royals and the Tigers. And so, you know, I don't know if that necessarily means you give him a pass, but you understand a little bit more uh, why it's been so bad that he's faced two of the hottest teams in the league, uh, the the two hottest in the American League and, you know, two of the three hottest across baseball. And he got pummeled by both. I guess that's not too surprising. But are you worried at all about Jose Quintana right now? I mean, a little bit. He's had one game, maybe two games. Let me see when when those were. Uh, those were spring training. Okay, so once he left spring training, spring training velocity can actually um, cut you both ways. They can be, uh, you know, not ready, and so therefore not have a nice velocity readings. But also, they pitch in in shorter outings a lot of times. So sometimes they can actually have higher um, velocity readings. Um, so. I'm not going to look at those. I'm going to, I'm going to look past those two uh, velocity readings in March, uh, in spring. And um, he's had basically one outing where he had velocity like he had last year, and then two outings where he had where he lost a, a, a mile per hour in velocity. Um, so there's definitely some lost velocity there. Um, you know, he's a little bit older because it took him a little while, but he's only 26. You might 26 is pretty steady. Uh, maybe a quarter of a mile per hour on average. So, uh, you know, that's a little bit worrisome. And then to me, the, you know, with the, the way that we haven't always agreed on, on him, um, is that, um, I don't think that his changeup is very good. And so therefore he's sort of a command, uh, fastball guy, um, with a really good curve and, uh, a bad change. Um, and so I feel like at some point the the command and the velocity of the fastball are going to dip below some, you know, it's kind of like Fister, you know, it's like at some point and Weaver, at some point, you know, it's nice that they have command, but at some point that the fastball velocity is going to fall too far. Now, yeah. obviously, we're not there with Quintana, so it's no, all it's a, take it's it all with a good point. It's a good point, though, because it is why overall we favor guys that that have stuff so much. You know, I think sometimes it gets to a point where you know, okay, you guys are just going to recommend the guy with the with the raw stuff, with the best raw stuff. We get it, but that, that, there's a reason why because it's going to hold up better. And obviously, it's 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 probably obvious to to a lot of people, but I think that there there is good reasoning behind it. Um, and, and yeah, there is going to come a point where Quintana, you know, and 
early on, it, that has been a problem because righties are ripping him. I mean, absolutely crushing him right now. 373 average and a 1026 OPS, uh, you know, with 19 hits, seven of them going for extra bases. So that, that is problematic, but I think he's going to have, he'll, he'll have, he'll have a nice run. By the way, Corey Dickerson just hit another home run. That guy is just on fire right now. Um, but I, I think Quintana will rebound. I'm not really selling him unless I'm getting fair value. If someone wants to come in, buying then they can at market value you know the the other thing that can happen with with this and we talked about this with lynn the other thing that can happen with a a, a bad platoon split situation where like a bad change-up situation is uh home runs yes and um last year uh, he had a 0.45 home run for nine and he had the best year of his career and I, i sold him um in my dynasty leagues because i thought so high well, I just thought he's never going to give up less than half a homer a game again. Not in Chicago in the cell, uh, not with a bad changeup. So uh, I've already divested myself of the shares that I had uh, of Quintana. Uh, I think I, I think I bought one in a redraft league, and you know I'm I'm staring at him, but you know I'm not ready to drop him. I think he, you know you can at least pitch to a three five three six. Uh, ERA, um, but I don't think the whip's going to be that great, and I think he is going to give up more than a homer per nine this year. No, I, th- I think what you're saying specifically about the changeup is completely fair and, and, and a point to be concerned with, um, but like I said, I do think he'll get back on track uh, and, and obviously be much better than the 840 ERA, that guy that we've seen with Quintana right now, but maybe not as high of a ceiling. If that changeup doesn't progress, and one of the things that I like for him is I've, we've been seeing kind of year-over-year growth, but if he can't get get better with that changeup, then, yeah, he's going he's gonna to struggle to kind of beat uh, what he's been throughout his career thus far, which is like a 364 ERA pitcher, uh, 350 for the three full seasons that he's had, which, again, is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and the price that you paid for him, he doesn't have to really be better than that. So uh, I think he'll at least get back to that 350 level. Next up on the list is Sasashi Iwakuma. He's drawn a lot of concern from folks, and I think it is a bit warranted. It isn't just this year. It really extends back to him having a tough September as well. So now he's got a 16% K rate this year, just a 45% ground ball rate, which, as you already mentioned, you know, it's just a bit bland um, from when you're coming down from 50s. And then now a 745 ERA and a 149 whip in his last 10 starts dating back to late August last year. Yeah, there's some there's some debate about whether or not he actually is seeing a velocity loss, and you know maybe that maybe isn't so much that there is a great velocity loss that we that we need to worry about. I mean, um, it it might be a half a mile per hour or something. Um, that it's possible that that's not the big deal, but I'm always worried about him because he has had shoulder problems in the past. I hate shoulder problems. Um, and I hate him much more than elbow problems. And, you know, he's kind of changed his mix where he's basically taken his, what he used to throw the the four seam pitch. He's, he's thrown out about a third as much as he used to. Um, and that's kind of weird. I don't know why you would do that. Um, you know, other than ground balls, but you know, you need to use that four seam to set up the, the splitter, uh, in terms of eye levels. I think it's a, it's a decent thing. And 
you know, honestly, he hasn't had great swing strike rates except for, you know, 2013. And, um, you know, this year he wants, he's, he's gotten worse. So I don't know. He gives up homers, even though he's got a great home park. He's got shoulder problems in his past. He's 34 years old. He just seems borderline to me. I don't think he's droppable, but I'm not buying low. No, and and you were out front on this. You were mentioning your concerns about him coming into the year throughout the winter on this show, uh, citing those shoulder issues. And, you know, th- there's reason to be concerned here. I, I, I was saying, you know, kind of like he and Taiwan Walker were kind of saying, listen, you get a chance against the, the Astros here. If you can't show something, uh, it's going to be – you know, you're not going to place too much on one start, but if you can't show me something against this team that's missing against the world, I'm going to have a little bit of concern. And then, and he went, uh, Iwakuma went out against the Astros, only lasted five and two thirds, gave up four runs, couple of homers, just three strikeouts, didn't walk anybody, but you know, the, the rest of the stuff was so bad, I would rather, I would rather taken a few walks. So I'm worried about Iwakuma. I'd back out on him for sure right now too. The last pitcher that we got is Matt Shoemaker. He's got uh, 21% strikeout rate, 6% walk rate. Th- those aren't far off from last year really at all. They're very, very close. But only uh, a very weird 25% ground ball rate, which has helped uh, drive a 646 ERA and a 150 whip in the early going for Shoemaker. So we're seeing the skills that are generally the same, but a very wacky batted ball profile. You think that's all it is? Or is there some reason for concern with Matt Shoemaker? Well, you know, he gave up a lot of home runs in the minor leagues, and I think that that attributed or that that helped his ERAs look so bad. Mm-hmm. And you know, there is a weird thing going on with the Angels and a couple other squads where their minor league run environments are extreme in the opposite direction from their than their big league squad. And I think you've got that uh, situation with San Diego. Um, what is it, Definitely. El Paso or something? Yep. Uh, where Rizzo hit like 900 home runs and then he came up and couldn't hit one. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, uh, so it's hard to know if he was hanging splitters, you know, and, and, and if that's what he's doing now, um, or if that was the run environment back then and that last year's sort of .93 is something he can, he can do again. The projection systems all uh, even in the rest of season projections, have him giving up more home runs than he did last year. Um, but right now, 17% home run per fly ball rate. Uh, not, not, that's going to regress. I mean, no one, he's, either, I mean, <laughs> he's either going to be in the minors or he's going to have fewer than two home runs per nine. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I think, I think that's, that's a pretty fair assessment of the situation. So I'm going to stick tight with Shoemaker right now. I'm not, I'm not gravely concerned just yet. Yeah, he's given up a ton of homers so far with a 2.4 rate, uh, and a 17% homer to fly ball rate. But I think that can square out. Find the, find the bottom of the zone again. Get your ground balls. Uh, and he wasn't a huge ground ball guy either last year, you know, 41%, but really induced a lot of weak contact working at the bottom of the zone. He'll refine that, I think. Uh, or like you said, he'll be sent out. That's the thing. They don't have some huge investment in him. Uh, Shoemaker isn't some prize prospect or some big contracted guy that they're going to have to stick with regardless. They'll be like, listen, if, it, if it's not working out by the start of May or something, they're going to look and say, well, 
you know, do we have somebody else? Because uh, the, we, we got a great season out of Shoemaker last year. Let's just move on. Stick tight with him for right now, though. I'm not. I'm not worried unless we see a couple more of these really ugly starts. He's. Let's, he's. I mean, he's down to 89, and he was. He was 90, 91 last year. Um, only one start did he average lower than 90, or two starts he averaged lower than 90. Uh, so that's concerning. Um, and I would really like him to to push that over 90. Um, but you can't complain too much because he's actually got nine and a half percent swing strike rate again, and he's he's still striking people out. And he's still not walking people. So, you know, if you compare him to Hughes, you probably would rather have Shoemaker because at least he's getting the swing strikes. At least he's getting the strikeouts and the walks. And his K-BB isn't maybe as good as it was last year, but it's still pretty good. So I agree with you. I'm, I'm hanging out with him. As giddy as I was on Hughes, I, I, I can't disagree with what you're saying with regards to uh, how close it is with them right now. I would still personally stick with Hughes if, if the, this decision was between the two, mm-hmm. but the fact that they're even this comparable because of what Hughes has done on the negative side uh, is, is worrisome. All right, let's talk some hitters here. Um, you know, I could have picked either of the, the new – or not new, the, but the big uh, Houston sluggers, one of which is new. I went with the new one, the new guy, Evan Gaddis. You could throw Carter in here. It doesn't really matter. The point is – they're both, they've both been pretty similar, one homer apiece. Gaddis specifically, 109 average, 36% strikeout rate. And since we already spoke about Carter earlier this week, I figure let's talk a little bit about, about Gaddis. Is this a situ- similar situation as with Carter, that you, you bought this when you bought in and you should really just chill with, with Evan Gaddis? Or are you more concerned because of the 36% strikeout rate? Or does he just have runs of 36% strikeout rate sometimes? I mean, the swing strike rate is up, you know, and that's, that's indisputable. And it comes, uh, against, uh, 200 pitches. Um, you know, it's, that's at least four times, uh, bigger of a sample than his, his plate appearances. So 17.4% swing strike rate is going to be up there. Um, I just, you know, took a, took a look at the, uh, park factors for strikeouts. Um, and, um, there, lo and behold, the Astros are, Number one in the league, but they are also tied with the Braves. So I don't necessarily think there's anything inherent about Houston that's making this a problem. So other players. than that, it's a new league. He's learning new pitchers. Um, I think that he can, I think he can shave a couple points off that swinging strike rate. We're not quite, uh, to the point where strikeout rate for batters is, um, a reliable figure. And, um, so I think he, he's going to, He's going to have more strikeouts than he did last year, but I think he can still manage to get it down to 25, 26% for the season and, um, you know, hit 230, 240 the rest of the way. I mean, that's, that's what we wanted out of him. And, uh, I think the power is coming, man. I mean, that's a, a too good of a stadium. He's healthy. He's 28. It's not, it's not time for a complete dive. I, I think the power is coming. I agree, and if you paid for him, you, you you have to stick with it because there's just no way that you can give up at this point because you paid too much uh, to to do that just yet. So sit tight. He'll get his otherworldly streak where he's just you know hitting the cover off the ball, and if he and Carter get it going at the same time, the Astros will uh, go on a huge run. It'll be that kind of dominance with them and then maybe Springer gets hot and then all of a sudden you got those three all cooking with gas all at the same time and if uh, Altuve is getting on base he's scoring a million runs so sit tight there I think it'll be all right 
this is why I was worried about investing in him, though, these high strikeout guys. Um, and sometimes I can't deal with the lulls, but it's a, it's a six-month season. Relax. Mm-hmm. Carlos Gonzalez is hitting 179 with a 26 WRC+. plus. Not great. He's been weirdly awful in Coors so far, and it's just 26 plate appearances. But I wonder if he's ever had a 26 plate appearance stretch of a 235 OPS in Coors. I'm sure he has just because uh, that's kind of the way baseball is. But it is weird because of how great Carlos Gonzalez usually is in Coors. How do you feel about him? I'm not sure we talked too much about him this offseason uh, because I, I, I'm – He's just not really on uh, on my radar much. I don't really look to invest in him, even at the discounted price this year. Uh, and it's been a rough, rough start for Carlos Gonzalez. I think I actually do have a share or two of his, and maybe even my tout team. Um, and I just thought that uh, at least the walk the walk rate would turn around. Um, you know, he, he he managed to walk above average. You know for about five straight seasons there uh, with the Rockies. And then there was, you know, a dip last year. And I th- I just thought that might be a one-year regression. Um, you know, he had better swing strike rates uh, for most of his career in, in, in Colorado, and then last year was bad. So I thought that would re- rebound. And for what it's worth, the, the swing strike rate is a little bit better. And uh, he's been healthy, and he's been out there. So in those in those cases, I like that. The one thing I don't like, and we're – I don't know if we're we're quite there yet, but ground ball fly ball mix is the next thing that's going to uh, become stable or whatever. And um, that doesn't mean that you take their number in that category and just project that number going forward. It means that you learn more from that number than you would from um, the league average or the career average. So exactly. uh, He has never hit as many ground balls per fly ball as he is hitting right now. He's hitting 50% of his balls on the ground, and that's going to negatively affect his power. So, you know, he is going to get a boost from home, but uh, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to put him in you know 25 homer, 26 homer pants anymore. Um, I don't think I paid for that those uh, that that type of um, that type of power output, but. I think that the ground ball mix does make me think that he may be lucky to, to crack 20 this year. Yeah, I'm a, I'd be a little bit concerned if I already had him. Like I said, wasn't somebody I was out trying to get. Um, you got to imagine with time and cores, if he stays healthy, he, he should have a run. But uh, right now, a lot more name value than anything else. Next guy's a little bit more name value than than performance in my eyes too, and I just I wonder if people are going to finally chill out a little bit on him, or or maybe he has a huge run and, and makes me look stupid. But Jason Kipnis is a guy who, you know, I've seen a couple of good, really good months from him, but I I don't get all the the fanfare with him. Uh, he still gets treated pretty well, even coming off of a 640 OPS from last year. He had a pretty good draft stat- status coming into this year, and Kipnis has rewarded those folks with a 224, 242, 259 triple slash line. And new, uh, news tip uh, for those of you at home: anytime all three numbers of your triple slash start with the same digit, you're in deep trouble. <laughs> uh, one stolen base, no homers. It's been brutal. What, what's going on with Kipnis? Is this somebody you bought into before the season? Uh, and if so, would you be ready to to move on? I I guess I feel pretty fundamentally different about him. I mean, I think that he had uh, two really good seasons. Uh, but if you look, those were really just uh, one was a good half season, and the other was like two good months. 
I, I just yeah. – I, we haven't seen – in my eyes, we haven't seen fully sustained production from him for – you know, f- it doesn't even have to be six out of six months because a lot of guys have a down month. But I, I don't think we've seen five really good months and one dud for, for a full season out of him. I think um, the 2013 season was May and June. And then the rest was average or worse. And then the year before, I think it was just May that was otherworldly, and and he broke down. And so I I don't trust this guy to make it through the full six seasons. That's the biggest issue right now uh, with with him. Yeah, I mean I I don't know. I, his in terms of stolen base attempts, he does. He's definitely very streaky. Um, and so I'm not super worried if he only comes out of April with uh, two or three stolen bases. Um, I mean, even that, if it was three, then, uh, he'd still be within a, a stone base or two at the end of the season of 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the number I wanted for him was 20 stone bases. And then in terms of power, um, I am a little worried, but, um, you know, he was playing through an injury last year and he's not playing through that injury this year. What does worry me is, is some comments about altering a swing to, for contact. And obviously he has done that and he, has the best swing strike rate and strikeout rate of his career, which, you know, if he paired that with a decent batting, a uh, decent batting average on balls and play could actually lead to the best, uh, batting average of his career. Because if you look at his rest of season projections, they all don't think this 16% strikeout rate is going to continue. But if he, if he did continue with the 16% strikeout rate and had a 300, uh, batting average on balls and play, he could actually hit, uh, 280 again. Uh, but, uh, you know, I would rather he hit 260, 270, uh, with punch. 20 homers. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm a little bit worried about the, about it from that perspective. And maybe it requires, um, a little more, uh, in depth, uh, look at his swing and, and what I think about, um, what he's doing there. But in terms of like ground ball, fly ball mix, um, he's right there with his career average. Uh, his strikeout rate looks good. Uh, his swing strike rate looks good. And, uh, he's healthy this year. And I mean, I I would say that he's a pretty proven 15, 20 guy, you know? Uh, I know that he got there in some ways that maybe he didn't like so much, but, um, you know, even the year before that, if you extrapolate that out, uh, you get sort of a 15, 20 type guy. So, um, I I think, I think he'll get there. I still, I still like him. You know, against there's some. You know, I think we should put him to play a little. Would you rather? I mean, obviously, uh, Odor is not working out as well as as I'd liked. Uh, sure. Liked. Um, his projection, though, rest of season is still for a 250, 260. Um, Zips has 15, 13. Steamer has 11, 11. So he's right there. And then uh, the big name that we need to put him up against in a would you rather is, is Devon Travis because there are some people um, who who have this ability to make this choice right now. And there probably are some people who are in sort of a 10-team league that are considering dropping Kipnis for, for Travis. So uh, what do you think? I I think I would take Travis. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that, that might feel – it feels a little bit crazy, but – like I said, Kipnis for me just been a guy I'm a little I'm a little unsold on, and so maybe I'm gonna miss the boat uh, when this guy does well. But until I see that full season, I'm not that sold. I'm I'm really still just super curious about Travis because, like I said, he came. You know, we talked about this before. He came into the season. There were some prospect uh, mavens that didn't much like him. You know, he got the number one ranking over at uh, Baseball America. A lot of the other parts of the industry didn't necessarily agree with that. 
um, you know, because the numbers were good, but the scouting was still iffy on him. And maybe the dude is just a hitter and, and plain and simple. And he doesn't necessarily have all the, all the grades that, uh, usually jump off the page for a prospect. But now that he's in the majors and just hitting. I know it's super early on him. So, you know, God, that's, that's tough. Cause I, I, I feel like a doofus really going off somebody on 53 plate appearances but i've never been sold on kipnis so i'm gonna do it i'm gonna go with travis obviously you're gonna disagree there but uh i I think that's the the smarter move uh and maybe if i had a better feeling about kipnis i I would be on that side but for me i'll go with the with the newcomer he still leads baseball in uh bad ball distance right there Devon Travis, Joey Votto, Starlin Marte, Bryce Harper, Adrian Gonzalez. Crazy, those because that's the same group of guys. Everyone, you know, you always put Devon Travis in your in your Joey Votto, Adrian Gonzalez, Bryce Harper. <laughs> I mean, we're always talking about those four. It's like God, can we talk about somebody else besides those four? Um, yeah, like I said, well, I know it, it's early it, to be hyped on him. It's but funny I, though. It's funny though because it, their full season projections now look very similar. I mean. Uh, you know, they both look, they both look like 260, 15, 10 guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, if your projections are so close, then, you know, why not, you know, maybe why not take the guy who's, who's doing well? I, I thought Kipnis maybe had another, uh, level of growth in him. And going into the season, I, I'm not at all sad that I didn't take, um, the, Travis over Kipnis just because, I mean, you know, Travis 24, hadn't played in the big leagues yet, had only 440 played appearances above double A. I was going to say, barely played outside of double A, and I think a, a p- part of that, wasn't it, uh, wasn't it, um, fall league too? Yeah, some of, some league, of his, yeah. some of his work he above. He play well in the fall league. Uh, and, uh, and he, uh, he's 5'9", so that's, I think, where the toolsy, the, the toolsy guys, the baseball Americas of the world are not going to sign up for a 5'9er until he, you know, until it's all over. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think back to my, to my research on pitching and I found that, that height didn't mean that much to pitching, you know, once you were looking at major leaguers. And I think that, you know, maybe height and size means a little bit less to power than we think once you're looking at minor league, you know, numbers that are decent. And once you're looking at, at, at some major league numbers, because, you know, there are singular towns and there are guys who pack a lot of punch. I mean, there are Kirby Puckets, you know? Yeah. Definitely. And, um, you know, there are ways to create leverage in your swing that, that don't require long arms. Um, so, you know, it definitely looks like he can hit it far. And even if you regress his power a lot, which you should, um, you're probably not going to regress it past league average. I wouldn't. Um, and league average power from a second baseman is probably 15 plus homers. So, I mean, he's, he's a great pickup. He should be owned in all leagues. And I, I may not drop him for Kipnis. I mean, my, my default sort of get me out of this answer is get them both on your team for a little bit and give yourself the chance to, to make that decision later. That would uh, be good. But uh, that doesn't always work for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, obviously everyone can't do that, but I, that would be great if you could maybe take some time with both. But if but if you got to make the make the decision today, I'll I'll make the the, the bigger gamble for sure. Um, and and then if Travis stays healthy, I'll feel very good about that. 
by the end of the season, I think. Uh, let's see, who's up next here? Got to shift over. Ah, uh, one, a guy I do love, a, a Jason I do love, and I'll, I'll probably find ways to, to justify him right now, but uh, it's Jason Hayward, and it's going to be a tough case to make. First off, I think there's a, a, a large contingent, uh, or at least a growing contingent, that of the fantasy community that is done with this guy. They're they're over it. Uh, you know, the 27 home runs are a distant memory now. Back in 2012, he doesn't have 27 combined since then. Just 25 in in the two years since. But uh, off to St. Louis, and you know what they you know they they always seem to pull the best out of guys, and so I think that definitely helped give at least some folks say, okay, I'll give him one more chance. Um, but there were others who were saying, what is the deal with this guy? Why does he continue to get drafted highly? So far, so bad. 193, 207, 316, uh, triple slash for Hayward. Good for a 523 OPS if you're not doing that math on the fly. One homer, one stolen base, just three ribbies. It's not going well right now. 2% walk rate, that's way off. That's the one thing that he has done throughout his career. He has taken his walks. This year, they're nowhere to be found. I'm getting a little bit nervous about my boy, Jason Hayward. What do you think? Well, I think that part, I think, is coming. I mean, Yeah, he, the walks. They got, got good, to, right? Got a good play. Maybe he's pressing for his new team or something. Um, I don't know. Even when he came up with the Braves that first year that was so glorious, he, he managed a 15% walk rate. So I don't know what it is, but... Um, you know he's 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 pressing and trying to be aggressive. Maybe they told him to be aggressive. In any case, um, I think that's also the least uh, far along in terms of uh, being stable. So I'm I'm okay with the walk rate. I think that'll come that'll come back. I in fact I even think his strikeout rate will improve a little bit because the swing strike rate is in line with what he's done the last couple of years. So I think he can 16 17 percent instead of the 21 percent he's showing right now. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, the sort of batting average and on base percentage stuff I think is is cool. Um so I think he can you know, if you're in an OVP league, just hang tight. Cause he's a better player in OVP leagues and he's probably gonna get you that three fifty uh on base percentage eventually. Uh thankfully that's where I've got most of my many Hayward shares. So I pre- appreciate that comfort there. Go ahead. <laughs> I've got zero shares. Um the what I, what does bother me about the early going is that when he came up he was a big ground ball guy and I always said I want I think he can I want him to hit fewer ground balls and that second year when he hit a little bit fewer ground balls I said okay you know he went from 55 to 53.9 I said okay that's a little bit I want a little bit more and we talked about this with like Yalek and, and some other guys mm-hmm. when he he, the 27 homer year, he, he blew up and he, and he went to 44% ground balls. And that was great for his, his, his power. Um, and, and then, you know, he kind of started going the other direction. And now this year, 60% ground balls. Uh, I don't necessarily think that's going to hold, but ground ball five ball rate is a thing that, um, stabilizes quickly. He has a history of too many ground balls. Mm-hmm. And even if he improves, he could improve to say 50% and still have, you know, one of the worst power and, uh, ground ball, you know, fly ball mixes of his career. Um, so I have, a, and he's not in a good park. I mean, he, he was in a better park in Atlanta. Yeah. That, that, that part is, uh, concerning as well. So I, I when I, when I was pricing him and, and thinking about him, I, I mostly thought about him as a guy I thought could hit 275, 350 
with, you know, 12 to 14 homers. And, you know, I was, I regressed his stolen bases just because there was that year where he had two, the year he had nine. So, you know, oh, I, yeah. I was, I was trying to think of him as sort of a double, double guy, like, you know, 12, 10, 270, 350. That's why I have no shares is because that I don't think sense. anybody else really had him that low. But given that how I, that's how I was about him going into the season, I'm not too worried that he can, I think even with that ground ball mix, he can hit 12 homers. So, uh, looking right now, it just doesn't, it's not primed. It's not primed for a breakout. I mean, it's not, it's not like you're looking at a Rizzo, you know, a young Rizzo where everything is lined up and it's just the Babbitt or something. Absolutely. That's a good point. The, the only thing on his side right now f- for breakout is the age and, and the fact that he does have a 2020 homer season on his ledger. That's it. And, and that's, that, those aren't strong to just say that there's, there's a breakout coming. First off, he's not guaranteed anything just because he's 25. And like I said, we're now two, two plus years removed from that big season. And you mentioned the reason that we can't just harp on that season because he, he hits the ball on the ground just too dang much for that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm growing, I'm growing more and more concerned. I'm a big, like I said, a big Hayward fan of his, of his overall game. And, uh, I, I just checked now. Three, three of the four shares I've got are OBP. So I, I still feel comfortable, uh, about that part, but I just feel like he should have more pop because you would look at, uh, what he could do and think, think that that could be something that could be in his game because it's been there before. But when you really look at the numbers, you have to be honest with yourself and say that Jason Hayward, Barring a dramatic change in, in his approach, isn't going to be a big power guy, and and then he's going to kind of fall into this um, Desmond Jennings sort of realm. Yeah, you know, where we're going to be saying, "Hey, we thought it was going to be much more. We shot, we saw some glimpses of it, but this is what he is now. It's still a good player. He's he's definitely not a bust in terms of what you want for a return on a 14th overall pick in in the baseball draft." But he might not. He's just not going to be that transcendent superstar. We're getting close to saying it, it's just not going to happen. Some people are already there. I, I'm still holding out a little bit of hope. But being honest with myself, I'm I'm growing concerned about Hayward. Yeah. All right, last guy uh, is maybe a guy we could have used in the in the Kipnis comparison we were talking about to see where people are. Uh, you know, because there were guys who felt really happy about this guy, and others who thought there was going to be a big break breakdown coming from Brian Dozier. He's got one homer, one stolen base, but similar strikeout and walk ratios to last year. The big difference right now is a nine percentage point drop in fly ball rate from 43% to 34%. Where are you with Dozier? Um, are, are you overly concerned right now from what we've seen? By the way, that's just one homer, no stolen bases, not one and one. So, you know, goose egged where he got 21 stolen bases last year and just the one homer uh, after 23 last year. So he's got a long way to go to another 2020 season. Yeah, I would I would definitely rather have Kipnis than Dozier. See, now and, on that one, you might, you might I might be with you because I'm, I think I've changed my tune enough on Dozier to bring them very close. Uh, but yeah, go ahead, t- talk to me about him. Some of it was talking to Farnsworth, and, and some of it I, I could see myself. And it's actually sort of remarkable. If you want to know what a flat swing looks like, you got to, you got to look at Dozier. Okay. Uh, because this guy has one of the flattest swings in, in baseball. And 
it can be a good thing, especially if pitchers are now starting to throw up in the zone more. Um, if the strike zone is changing at the bottom of the strike zone, then, you know, it's a very good swing to get to inside pitches and to get to, to high pitches. So, okay. you know, I, I just think that that's the kind of thing that, um, you know, before people have a book on you, you know, the, the, the normal thing to do is loan away and up and tight, high and tight, because, uh, they set up each other and also high and tight. The league as a, as a league has a whole high and tight. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's just a hard place to get your hands through. But because of his swing and the way that he swings and the flat, flatness of his swing, he actually doesn't have a hole high and tight. And so he can actually get to that ball. And that's been the source of some of his power, um, is, is, is just slugging, uh, pitches in on the hands and up, up high. Um, where, you know, a lot of the league is, has more of a golf type swing. Um, it's a little bit more vertical, um, and, and is designed to get to balls that are low in the zone. He's got kind of like an old school flat swing. Okay. The problem is that it also, I'm pretty sure, leads to infield fly balls and to pop ups. And you look at his career; he's had a pop up problem his whole career. It's really extreme, one of the worst <laughs> in big leagues, and it just got worse. Yeah, it's been really bad this year. He's at 20 percent right now. Yeah. Ouch. And and, uh, I mean, I usually use pop-up percentage, which is, uh, infield fly ball percentage times fly ball percentage. Oh, okay. Okay. But it's, it, it's only just a little bit better, but I'm just going to do that real quick because I know what the average is. Um, so he's got 6.1% pop-ups and, uh, the league average is 3.5. So okay. he's almost double the leagues, uh, in, in, in terms of, and I guess that's, that's about the same for infield fly ball percentage, but. If you apply ball percentage, the average is around 10 or 11, so it doesn't seem as bad. But if you if you combine it with his fly ball rate, he's almost doubled the league in terms of pop-up percentage. So here's a guy who you kind of look at his BABIPs and you say, why hasn't he never had a 300 BABIP? Well, you don't. The BABIP on a pop-up is zero. Yeah, and, yeah it's uh, not. It ain't happening. Yeah. So and then you combine the fact that he now has a 10.7% swinging strike rate. Um, and I'm sure pitchers are pitching him uh, lower um, in the zone because they know now. Um, and now he's going to have to try and find a way to make this adjustment. Um, I'm a little bit worried about him. I mean, he's he's 27. He had a couple good years, but uh, with that swing and and you know the book probably being out on him, um, I think that uh, he's going to have a hard year. Yeah, there there are some concerns about Dozier. Uh, for OBP leagues, I had Dozier and Kipnis one rank apart with Dozier on top. I think yeah, they're even though both are struggling, uh, I, I I could it's an easy toss up between them. Obviously, they were so close to begin with uh, in an OBP format for me. That and I mentioned that because that's really where I was trying to invest in Dozier. I really wasn't uh, even though. You don't need to have a great batting average these days to still be a, a good fantasy asset. Given that I play in so many OBP leagues, it, it makes sense to kind of split it and, and have two different sets of rankings there. And uh, I, I focused on him in those leagues. So I got him a couple shares of him, nothing too crazy. I'm going to stick tight for right now. But maybe if I did get a one-for-one one with Kipnis, I, I might do that trade just maybe to mix it up a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think that the whole situation in Minnesota is so dire right now that I worry about uh, another big piece of uh, Dozier's value. Even if he gets back on track, the 112 runs that he scored last year is going to have a hell of a time mm-hmm. coming anywhere near that this year uh, as he's pacing out toward um, 
well, he's still he's still got a pace of 98 right now if he plays every game. So maybe if he does pick it up, he, he can still score because uh, because he gets on base. But 112, I just don't see it because I'm not sure that offense really gets cooking uh, too much. I thought they were going to be a decent offense, but so far it's been really rough. We already talked about Santana at the top really halting things before they ever get going. And then there just isn't a lot of punch in that lineup, especially if Dozier isn't hitting them out. Anyway, that's going to wrap us up um, for for today. We went, we covered some good hitters, some good good pitchers. It's, might be time to make some moves out there. I, you know, I usually say at least wait until tax day before you start making trades uh, or forgot, actively. What, what happened? We forgot the two bullpens. Oh yes, um, Melanson. You wanted to mention because uh, we, we were talking about the day, the games for today that have already gone on. He came out, got the save. Der, uh, Derek Van Riper of Rotowire, I thought, had a good comparison, though. He mentioned, comes out, get, gets a save. The velocity really no better, though. Didn't look great. He said he's a he's a uh, wobbling vending machine, uh, move, moving back and forth, and it's going to tip over. You don't want to be under it. That that was Derek Van Riper's opinion of it. What what are you seeing now? Melanson, you know, they're still showing that trust in him. Watson got that save because Melanson wasn't available. Are you trusting Melanson, or you think it's a matter of time? Well, I I just remembered back in the day when my friend uh, got stuck under. The... Oh, holy cow! <laughs> yeah, That's so terrifying. Long. That was so bad. He had a big old thigh bruise. Uh, but anyway, um, I, I ran something because Steve Stishek is also under ninety miles an hour. So now we got two eighty-nine mile an hour closers. We actually have three with Wehara, but uh, Wehara seems to be in a different boat because he's been under ninety for his absolutely. Whole time. And so we've got two guys that have fallen below 90 and, uh, in Sishek and Melanson and they're, they're nominally in control, but, uh, 90 miles an hour and then sorted them by career saves. You know, you know who's at top of it is Trevor Hoffman, but, um, I, and Koji Wehar is on that list too. Those guys, I understand what's going on there. I think they have a, a plus plus secondary pitch. Mm-hmm. So now you have to ask yourself, if you think Melanson's curve and Sisek's slider are on plus par plus. with Hoffman's changeup and Wehara's uh, splitter, splitter. Which, I, I don't uh, think I don't think you do. No, so, not, not neither of them. They're both good, but they're not they're not otherworldly pitches like those two. Right. So then the other names, uh, just to to, to, to name them, uh, Eddie, Eddie Guardado, uh, Joe Borowski, uh, Chad Cordero, Keith Folk, Danny Graves. Uh, Sergio Romo. Uh, these are your, these are your, your classic, uh, low velocity guys. Now, I think w- what you have in the most part is, is good command. You know, I, no doubt. I don't think we want to learn anything from Joe Borowski, but, um, <laughs> and, and I think even Chad Cadero is a bit of a fluke, but with Eddie Guardado, Keith Folk, Danny Graves, Sergio Romo, when they were closing, uh, and even for Koji and, and Trevor Hoffman, uh, when they were closing and, and making it happen, they had good command. Um, Sishek's command isn't showing right now, and uh, and and that's worrisome. His swing strike rates are about halved. Um, everything looks pretty bad. The, the ground balls aren't there, uh, and he's 89. So that's that's pretty bad. And then Melanson today at least showed command of his two pitches. They're very similar, actually. A cut fastball that's 89, and a and a curveball that looks like the cut fastball, but it's 80s basically with what he throws. Yeah. Um, but his 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 walk rate on the year is bad. So 
any case, if you're looking at them, I think the thing that you got to do is watch their command at this point because I don't think they're going to get a lot of velocity back. I mean, Melanson, Melanson um, have a little velocity dip early last year, but it was to 91 and, and not down to 89. So he's he's way off of anything he's done before, and so Sishek. And so really you just want to watch him for command. I think it's A.J. Ramos in, in Florida. Yeah. And, he has velocity, he has multiple pitches, and he's pitching pretty well. He's got the holds. I think he's the guy. And then, I mean, Tony Watson came out and pitched the ninth when when um, when Lanson wasn't available, and he, and he didn't pitch to a lot of lefties either. So no, I think it's him. Uh, he doesn't have major platoon splits. I do think it's Watson. I know folks are excited about Archimedes Caminero. Cool name, throws a hundred. Definitely somebody that could be on the radar, especially if Melanson did come out and flat out lose the job. But uh, Watson has been back to being lights out nails ever since the, the I don't know if it was opening day or just his first uh, outing, the three-run homer that he gave up to Todd Frazier. But ever since then, he's been, he's been killing it, only one run allowed in that time and a strikeout or more um, in every outing except for a couple there. So he's got nine strikeouts in his last ten innings, only three hits allowed, just the one run, also a home run, by the way. So that's the one thing, though, a couple homers already this year. Hasn't had homer issues in the past, so if they worry, if they're worried that this is a new thing, maybe that they would they would opt for somebody else. But if they if they trust Watson's track record, they see that he's not been a homer guy in the past. Just a couple of isolated incidences here. I think he'll be uh, the guy for sure if Melanson loses the job. And I agree that Melanson is definitely losing his grip on that job. So Watson is who I would invest in for sure. Yeah, no, I I think it's Watson. I mean, some people might be frustrated because. I did talk about Archimedes uh, Caminero, but the problem is, uh, you know, I said that because I'm not that wild with Jared Hughes. Um, so I think the Caminero might actually be ahead of Hughes in some oh, way. Oh, I agree there for sure. Uh, but and then also the teams teams go to lefties uh, as their closer uh, about half as much as they should given the population. But the problem is uh, that Watson has already been used. So in terms of like how they're being used and, and what innings they're being used, that's almost as important as anything else. So um, Watson got the choice, chance. He's the guy who closed. So it's Watson, and then I think it's Caminero. And then in, in Florida, I think it's Ramos for the same reason, although I've always liked Ramos. And then behind him, uh, I think it's Brian Morris. Um, he has some crazy good lights-out stuff. Uh, he just chooses to get ground balls instead of uh, whiffs with it. So... Um, if you're wondering where the strikeouts are, I I can't tell you other than the fact that it is wicked stuff, and I think he can't close. Maybe maybe Brian Morris would make a change if he was in an inning where you can you know it is a little bit different in the ninth. You don't want any sort of contact. Whereas maybe if you're pitching in the seventh, you're a little bit more open to uh, letting the defenders do the work. So maybe we could see a strikeout boost from him if Morris was elevated into that role. So it's good to know that you believe in the stuff fully. We just haven't seen the strikeout numbers to back it. So we're keeping an eye on both those situations. Obviously, any other closer situations, it's been one of the crazier starts. Maybe we're just saying that because we're in the moment, but it does feel a little bit crazier early on because we came into the uh, season with so much in flux in the American League as it was and then a few of the NL situations have blown up already so we had a lot of instability and then we've added some already as we always do at the bullpen 
Although I will say I don't think that it's a case uh, for not buying closers because you can still be relying on the super studs, the ones that you do have to pay for, like a Chapman, a Kimbrell. They've been nails, and so I I, I personally have no problem investing in those guys because I don't want to be in all these battles for the Grillies, the Sorias, the Tony Watsons, the maybe the maybe guys especially are tough. But uh, you know when you're buying Grilly out of Vino Soria, you're using a lot of your fab, and so. For those who say it's easy or free to just don't, they say don't pay for saves as if this isn't also paying for saves. But anyway, that, that, that's topic for another time. We will stay on top of all these situations. One last, one last thing. Uh, we were talking about the Tommy John um, honeymoon. Yes. Here are the Tommy John surgeries from 2011 that are relevant today. John Lackey. Uh-oh. Kyle Gibson. Carlos Carrasco. Uh, probably not Zach Cozart. I don't think that. Uh, Brett Anderson, uh, Jabba Chamberlain, Jorge De La Rosa, Henry Mejia, Adam. Yeah. Sorry, what was the last one? I'm sorry. Adam Wainwright. Okay, so these are a lot of high impact names. You know, uh, either for their team or for fa- you know for fantasy, uh, or obviously in a lot of situations, both. You know, Brett Anderson, not necessarily a high impact guy, but somebody that folks liked as a sleeper. Uh, if he could, you know, show even a modicum of health, maybe he can pitch well. He's been brutal for the Dodgers, just not showing any zip on anything, getting beat around the yard, homers, uh, no walks, but you know, no strikeouts either, just nothing for him. Yes, th- those are those are some worrisome names there. Doesn't mean you freak out about all of them and go trade them. Just be yeah. aware of it, right? That's what that's what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what can you do? I think maybe it's better of a thing to do going into the season. Definitely. Uh, like next year, look at the 2012 list with like Drew Hutchinson and uh, Colby Lewis and uh, you know there's some other names on there that uh, Danny Duffy. Um, I think I would just you know remove 20 innings off of their off of their projection in your in your book just to you know take a little bit of value off them. Just to understand that it could be a little touch and go there for them. Okay, great stuff today. You know, I, I hope people appreciate the the longer episodes. We only usually do it when there's tons of stuff to talk about. So uh, we'll be back in in a couple of days. Uh, Jason and I on Sunday, and then you and I uh, next Tuesday. Take care. You know, happy baseball. <laughs>